We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. The NBA is back and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. This is my favorite sports betting app that is out there. It is safe and easy to use, easy to get your money in and out. I love that cash out feature. So if you're in good shape with one of your bets and you don't want to risk garbage time, you can get your money out quickly. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this NBA season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Going to keep it nice and simple today. We're going to break down yet another heartbreaking collapse for the Los Angeles Lakers at home against the Boston Celtics. 
And then the Sacramento Kings continue their struggles against the good teams in the league, getting their butt kicked in Philly. A couple of teams we haven't really touched on much lately, so I wanted to briefly touch on them. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements, as well as any video breakdowns that I do. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So that was a really impressive end to the road trip for Boston. If you really factor in all of the different things at play. So you drop a couple of really tough games to the Warriors and the Clippers, who are two really good Western Conference teams. In my opinion, the two best teams in the Western Conference. And those two teams were looking for signature wins on their home floor. You drop those games. That's tough, but that happens. And then you have a back-to-back. So it's your third game in four nights on the road again against a Lakers team that's been playing pretty good basketball for about a month now. I pointed this out. Even with all of the collapses, even with everything, in this last you know 16-game stretch, they're 9-7, and seven, counting what happened to the Boston Celtics last night. So, And they've been pretty good on both ends of the floor. So you, th- this was a tougher game than it would appear on the schedule. You come in and you really dominate them for two and a half quarters. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown demonstrating all sorts of high-level shot making. That Lakers team is so small on the perimeter that these bigger guard, these bigger wings that are good at hitting off the dribble jump shots are going to be really difficult for the Lakers to guard. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown right now are probably the best duo in the NBA, and they really controlled this game for the most part for about two thirds of it. And then, you know, they were able to keep the Lakers in the half court, contain things defensively. They did a nice job for the most part on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're just really damn good players that are going to find ways to score points anyway. But then the Lakers punch you in the mouth. And they start forcing a bunch of turnovers and getting stops. And they start getting out in transition. And LeBron and Anthony Davis get engaged. And they just go on this unbelievable run. And on the, at the same time, it kind of triggered some of those bad Boston Celtics tendencies, you know, holding the ball to late clock. And then instead of driving and kicking, they're looking for those tough pull-up jump shots. And it started to look a lot like the previous two games. At one point, the Lakers led by 13 points with less than four minutes left in the fourth quarter of this game. Now, part of me, I, I feel really bad for Lakers fans. Again, for those of you who don't know, I am not a Lakers fan. I just covered the Lakers for a couple of years. Um, So I have a lot of friends within the Lakers fan base. And then I've always been a big fan of LeBron James. So I do root for the Lakers. I've never hid from that specifically. But I root for a bunch of different teams around the league because I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, not an NBA town. The Phoenix Suns never marketed to them. I've always just been a fan of the game of basketball in general. The only real teams that I'm actively rooting for are, from a team standpoint, are the University of Arizona teams because I grew up in Tucson and this is a college town. But, like, I'm a fan of the Lakers because I'm a fan of LeBron and I have a lot of friends who are Lakers fans, and so I root for them. But I don't have any specific rooting interest for the Lakers. Uh, But I felt really bad um, for my friends who are Laker fans because this team has just time and time again just found a way to break their heart. And the Laker fans' heart. And I can't even think about how I, again, I didn't watch the game live. I watched it this morning because I was hanging out with my wife last night. And I, I just, I just can only imagine what Lakers fans must have felt like as you're up 14 or up 13 with less than four minutes left in that fourth quarter and they choke it away again. And it looks 
just like all of the other losses, late game losses that they've had this season. Uh, but credit to the Celtics because they really locked in over that last four-minute stretch. They got a bunch of stops. They did a nice job on LeBron James and Anthony Davis containing them and keeping them out of the paint. Jason Tatum, once again, just ridiculous shot making. He hit a tough, tough step back three over Anthony Davis on the left wing during that final run. He hit that ridiculous turnaround jump shot over LeBron James to tie the game with like 15 seconds left. In overtime, Jason Tatum hit another turnaround one-legged fadeaway. Uh, Jalen Brown hit basically what ended up being the dagger in late OT. Those two guys, when they're hitting shots over the top of the defense like that, you just got to tip the cap. Uh, but like uh, really, really impressive two-way run from those guys to steal that game from the Lakers. Again, if you're looking at it, last game of a road trip, you're exhausted, you're ready to be home, you don't have legs, third game in four nights. Think of the sleep part of that too. Like None of us ever sleep as well in someone else's bed than we do in our own bed, right? And that goes for hotels and whether you're crashing at a buddy's house or whatever it is, you just don't sleep as well. And sleep is how athletes recover. And so over the course of a long road trip, that's why those final games are so uh, so tough on teams. You're fatigued. You haven't slept really well in a while. You've got your mind back at home thinking you're going to be uh, thinking you're going to be home soon. You're down 13 with four minutes left. You could have very easily just let go of the rope. And instead, they fought back and really changed the tone of the entire road trip with that type of comeback when you're Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both talking a lot after the game about how pleased and impressed they were with their guys for getting that particular game in the manner in which they got him. I wanted to shout out Jason Tatum because he had a couple of really rough nights in a row against Golden State against Golden State and the Clippers where he looked a lot like some of those issues we've seen last year. But he bounced back in a big way in this game. I liked how he started the game looking to get guys involved as a passer before he really turned it up as a shot maker late in the game. And then remember, we were talking about how his rim finishing and his finishing in the paint in general was a big part of his issue the last couple of games. Well, he was 8 for 14 in the paint against the Lakers and 5 for 7 in the restricted area. So he got that back on track. And then that big shot over LeBron at the end of regulation, that's kind of a big moment. You know, you know, uh, there are these like kind of like it gets cliche when people talk about like passing the baton and things along those lines. But when you really think about it confidently at the end of a game like that to look LeBron James, the second best basketball player of all time, in my opinion, who, yes, he's older and he's not quite the athlete that he is that he used to be, but he's still a top 10 player in this NBA and who's been playing really good basketball for the better part of a month. Now, Jason Tatum looked him eye to eye and went and got a basket on him. And LeBron played good defense and forced him into one of his tougher shots, you know, that turnaround fadeaway over his right shoulder, and he just knocked it down and knocked it down confidently. It was that, you know, uh, just just long off the back rim and in uh, that that just, you know, that's always a big indicator for jump shooters when they're knocking him in off the back of the rim. That means they're not alligator arming or leaving them short. They're confidently raising up and knocking the shot down. And, you know, we've talked a lot over the last couple of days about the importance of superstar play and how it's the difference between the bad offenses and the good offenses in the league. We talked about this a lot with the Clippers yesterday. And, you know, we talked about it for from the standpoint of warping the defense to create closeout opportunities, but it's also about rescuing possessions and attacking matchups. And when you have two guys in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that can consistently rise up and hit jump shots over the top of contests, that just shoots that little bit of extra juice into your offense it helps carry you in big moments. But yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was kind of a cool moment for Jason Tatum to go into LA and kind of outplay LeBron on his home floor uh, to get a win. Moving on to the Lakers. You know, bad losses happen to everyone. 
blown leads happen to everyone. I mean, even we were just talking a couple days ago about the Golden State Warriors kind of blowing a game at the end um, uh, when when Steph Curry and Draymond Green and and Andrew Wiggins and 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 Clay Tom- or I think of just Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole played in this particular game when they were missing a bunch of guys and it's like heartbreak at the end of the game um, uh, off of a couple of turnovers by Jordan Poole. That sort of thing happens. It happens to everybody. That's the most well coached and most experienced team in the league, albeit they were missing guys. It happens to everybody. The difference is for the good teams or for the the players that are willing to learn, you learn from those mistakes and they become scar tissue. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot, the scar tissue that comes from losing. It's a big part of what makes veteran players more valuable in big playoff moments than younger players. They've experienced painful losses enough times to remedy those issues. And this Lakers team refuses to learn. You know, some of the shot-making stuff is unavoidable. Like, again, if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to hit big-time shots over the top of the defense, you got to tip your cap to them. But that's not the only way they lost. There were plenty of avoidable mistakes. And I wanted to kind of break down the final sequence of the game just to kind of show you what I'm talking about. So it's 106-93 with less than four minutes left. LeBron gets a wide-open three on the left wing, and he misses it. Good offense, good shot, just missed it. And LeBron, while he's struggling with pull-up shooting this year – He's been actually pretty good in catch-and-shoot situations this year. So on that very next possession, Boston dribbles up the floor, and AD is back, but he's back to the paint, and his matchup is Grant Williams. And Grant Williams is running along the left wing. And Grant Williams is a good shooter who's been lights out in spot-up situations this year. AD was matched up with him in this particular small ball Celtics group. AD just concedes a three to Grant Williams. Like, saw him running the left wing, had an opportunity to close out, Chose not to. Just conceded a basket. And he did. And a lot of these comebacks for the Lakers, these blown leads for the Lakers have started just like that. It's the lazy plays early in the comeback that turns a 17-point lead into an 8-point lead in a matter of seconds. You know, or, or, you know, in this case, a 13-point lead into something much less than that in a matter of seconds. And that's what happened here. AD concedes the, uh, the three to Grant Williams. Then LeBron turns it over to Marcus Smart on the inbounds pass. Like, Grant hits a three, LeBron turnover, Marcus Smart layup. Now it's an eight-point game in a matter of seconds. Again, that's your stars. That's Anthony Davis and LeBron. That's Anthony Davis and LeBron in a matter of seconds turning a 13-point lead into an eight-point lead by being lazy and unfocused. Then they go down the floor. Russ takes and misses a pull-up jump shot at the right elbow. Russell Westbrook is shooting 29% on pull-up jumpers this year. We're going to talk a lot about Russ here in a little bit. 85 players this year have taken at least 80 pull-up jump shots. Russ ranks 84th in percentages. Only Keldon Johnson has been worse. He He continues to take the shots that skilled guards take, even though he's not skilled the way that skilled guards are. So, off of that Russell Westbrook miss, Jason Tatum has a really nice give-and-go, tries to dunk on LeBron. Was pretty solid defense, to be honest. You just Tatum made a hell of a play, goes to the line, he makes two free throws. Then Anthony Davis hits a really tough turnaround jump shot. Then that's when Jason Tatum goes down and hits the tough step back over Anthony Davis. Again, we're in the tough shot-making phase here. LeBron goes down, hits a nice fall away in the lane, a really tough two-point jump shot. So it's just superstars making superstar plays on both ends of the floor. But then, after LeBron hits that jump shot, Marcus Smart 
in transition, attacks Austin Reeves. The Lakers are not back. They're not in their help side. So Austin is by himself, and Marcus Smart gets an easy layup. Everyone's hugged up to their man. Leave Austin on an island. That's bad defense. They go down to the other end. Anthony Davis misses a turnaround jump shot. Celtics go down. Grant Williams misses a three. Then LeBron misses a three. Then we have Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart at the top of the key. LeBron is guarding Jalen Brown. Or excuse me. Anthony Davis is guarding Jalen Brown. And LeBron is guarding Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart sets a ghost screen, which is a super common action in the NBA where you have a perimeter player that can shoot go set a fake screen. So he runs up like he's going to set a screen, and then he just runs out to the three-point line. And for the most for the most part, when it's two perimeter players like that, like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, you switch that screen. LeBron clearly thinks it's a switch. Anthony Davis clearly does not. They botch that switch. They give Marcus Smart a wide open three, which he's going to make every single time. Now, fatigue might have played a role there, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But regardless, LeBron and AD botched a switch. That's under your control. Then LeBron and AD run the pick and roll on the other end of the floor. Anthony Davis gets fouled on the lob. Anthony Davis has a chance to go to the line. 110 to 108. Shot clock is off. Opportunity to ice the basketball game, and he misses both free throws. That's under his control. Then Jason Tatum goes down and hits that tough shot over LeBron, and LeBron goes down and misses the tough shot, and we're headed to overtime. That's how you blow a 13-point lead in four minutes. Again, there's some tough shots in there. But AD conceding a wide-open transition three to Grant Williams, that's bad defense. LeBron turning it over to Marcus Smart, giving up a free layup, that's unfocused basketball. Russ taking another pull-up jump shot, which should literally, Russ should literally never, ever take one. That's how bad he is at it, and he continues to do so. You know, like LeBron and uh, uh, Anthony Davis botching a switch, that's under your control. You can, by focus and effort, contain that particular issue. Anthony Davis, two free throws at the end, that's a fixable problem. So we can talk about the tough shot making, and you can tip the cap to a certain extent to the Celtics, but the bottom line is, is every time the Lakers blow a big lead, it's a factor of bad offensive decision-making and lazy defense. And even though it happened against Indiana earlier this year, even though it happened against the Blazers earlier this year, no matter how many times it happens to them, they do not learn their lesson. They are not building the scar tissue. So if you ask me whether or not I expect the Lakers to do something like this again at a later point in the season, the answer is yes, they've proven that. Then we go into overtime, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis were completely out of gas because they'd played a million minutes, which we'll talk about in a minute. So it turned into the Russell Westbrook show, and that went about exactly as you would expect. He got to the rim a couple of times and made a couple layups, but then Boston started packing the paint and daring him to shoot, and he missed back-to-back-to-back wide-open jump shots because he's arguably the worst volume jump shooter in the NBA and the Boston Celtics win. I wanted to talk about Russ for a second because we're reaching a little bit of a crisis point because he's been so horrifically bad in his last five games. So if you remember, after that Blazers game, the Bucks game, and the Wizards game, I said that was his best three-game stretch since his time coming to the Lakers. Generated a boatload of quality shots for the Lakers bench units. He was limiting his mistakes, like taking fewer bad shots and turning over the basketball less, and he was playing solid defense. And in that stretch, his shifts were positive in all three games, and he was plus 16 overall in a three-game span. Immediately, he regressed. 
Don't look at the stats. Yeah, I know. He's averaging 15, 8, and 5 or whatever it is over his last five games. But he's had four or more turnovers in four of the five games. He's taking a boatload of bad jump shots again. I don't understand what the green – like, There, he's playing like he has a green light. I was watching the film from Lakers Celtics this morning. He took two early clock tough three-point shots that both – one was an air ball and the other was like two feet long and barely grazed the back of the rim. Like, he's shooting like he's got a green light. It literally doesn't make sense because of how bad he is at making jump shots. He's making a lot of defensive mistakes, and he's been a negative in every single game. Russell Westbrook is minus 51 in the last fifty in the last five games. The Lakers are plus 16 when he's off the floor. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. And this is, you know, this is what makes Russ so polarizing. You know, there's, there's such an up and down volatility to his play. He makes so many... Huge momentum plays. And he made a ton of momentum plays in that game against Boston, where it's a, whether it's a, a, a steal and a run-out dunk or another run-out transition layup. It, it just He can make these momentous plays. And, and, and a lot of Russ fans will cling to those, but they don't pay attention to the damaging mistakes that he makes that undercut that success. For instance, there was a sequence in that fourth quarter. I think the Lakers were up 94-90. to 90. 
and Russ gets out in transition and just gets all the way to the rim and explodes and makes a right-handed layup. And you're like, man, what a play from Russell Westbrook. And then two possessions later, he does the exact same thing, but the Celtics do a better job of getting back and, and building a wall in front of the rim. And he tries a stupid drop-off pass to Anthony Davis, who's not open and is standing like 18 inches away from him, leads to a turnover, and they go the other way, and the Celtics get an and-one on a Jason on a Jason Tatum layup. So it, Russell, Russ West, Russell Westbrook fans will cling to that play that he made, the transition play, but they'll completely ignore the one he made two possessions later. In that aggregate, it's plus two for the Lakers on the transition play, and then it's a missed transition opportunity, which is about a point per possession, and three points the other way because of the transition live ball turnover. In the aggregate, that's like negative two points in a two-possession sequence. That's why I can't look at the box score with Russell Westbrook to get a feel for his impact on the game. And that's what makes him so polarizing. You have the Russell Westbrook fans that only cling to the good, and then you have a lot of Russell Westbrook haters that only cling to the negative. Now, I get frequently lumped in with that group, which I don't think is fair, because I constantly point out when he does play well or the good things he does in terms of his shot creation and rim pressure and the way he's been performing with the Lakers bench groups, I try my best to try to play the middle ground. And too often I get called, you know, looped in with all the haters. But then, like, you get into overtime. There was a play... Um, it was the one where Grant, it was when they were up 114 to 112. And Russell Westbrook takes another pull up jump shot. Again, like we talked about, worst 84th out of 85 pull up jump shooters in the league at that volume. Takes a pull up jump shot, jogs back in transition, and guards nobody. Marcus Smart drives past LeBron James on the right wing. Bad defense from LeBron there. Again, I thought LeBron and AD in particular were completely wiped out at the end of this game. Marcus Smart gets down to the middle. Anthony Davis contains Marcus Smart. Grant Williams is wide open on the right wing. If Russell Westbrook was in normal defensive position, that would have been his rotation. He's not even in the play. In fact, he's guarding nobody on this play. He loses sight of man and ball, and he's drifting out to the left wing, completely unaware of anything that's going around him. Grant Williams makes a three. The Celtics are up by one. That's the, that's the up and down nature of the Russell Westbrook experience. And Russ fans only see the positive and they refuse to see the negative. As we zoom out on Russ's season now, he's had a lot of good games. He's probably had 10 or so good games where he's been like a significant positive. But the bad plays are starting to outweigh the good plays again. And the bad games are starting to outplay, uh, outweigh the good games. So here's where we're at. In totality this season, the Lakers are plus 28 when Russ is off the floor. They are minus 71 when he's on, which is dead last on the team. Even if we account for possessions, he's minus 3.7 per 100 possessions, which is the worst among the Lakers' rotation players. The Lakers are 13 points better with AD on versus AD off. They are 1.2 points better with LeBron on versus LeBron off. They are seven points worse with Russ on versus Russ off. So the bottom line is, is that things have probably gone as good as they possibly could have gone for Russ this season, and it still has been a complete disaster in the aggregate. And he's undercutting what has been a pretty dominant stretch from LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Since November 6th, Anthony Davis, 30 points and 13 rebounds a game on 62% shooting. LeBron James, since November 6th, 28-8-6 on 50% from the field and 39% from three. And yet the Lakers are dropping winnable games. In large part because they have the, the majority of their salary resources, their most expensive player, 
the majority of those resources are tied up in a player that actually hurts the team, but makes enough momentum plays to fool the staff in front office into thinking that he's been a positive when he clearly is not. And there's this narrative surrounding him that he's been the sixth man of the year this year. Oh, we moved Russ to the bench and everything's been better. And there have been good moments and good games with Russ on the bench. But the reality is in the aggregate, they're getting destroyed when he's on the floor. And they're positive when he's off. He When he's alongside LeBron James, there's too many rogue possessions of pull-up threes. There's too little activity off the basketball to remain a threat. And he makes too many defensive mistakes. But the problem is, is that narrative of him being the sixth man of the year, that's going to be enough to trick the Lakers into thinking that that's where he should be and they're going to keep him. I will be shocked if the Lakers actually decide to move Russ. And it's a shame because it's going to undercut any chance that LeBron James and Anthony Davis have to make a run this year. Last thing I wanted to touch on with the Lakers is LeBron James and Anthony Davis with fatigue. So part of the issue with Russ taking up this kind of salary resources with him being the most expensive player on the team the Lakers have a severe depth problem. They don't have enough good basketball players to run lineups with the two of them staggered more frequently, playing fewer minutes. So LeBron played 42 minutes, played the entire fourth quarter in overtime, took just one brief rest in the third quarter. Anthony Davis played 46 minutes and played the entire second half and overtime. So when we look at things like that botched switch where Anthony Davis and LeBron should have switched the Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart action. When we look at LeBron getting beat to the basket by Marcus Smart in overtime, you know, uh, on the Grant Williams shot, which ended up being the lead changer. I'm, I can't get super upset at those two guys because they're tired. It's just natural. Now, I, I would hope that especially when you factor in the, the, the gravity of that particular game, that they'd be able to lock in and get those stops. But I'm not going to be overly critical of them when it's clear that they're tired. And, you know, I talked before the season. I said, if Rob Polinka and Jeannie Buss are patient with the trades, they might be able to get something better. I, I admitted that before training camp. I get it. There is upside there. But there was an obvious downside. By skipping the opportunity to give your team a full training camp to integrate players, by burying yourself in the standings because the Lakers, they knew they had a difficult schedule to start the year. By digging that hole in the standings and by losing that continuity, now in the process you're running your stars into the ground and you're digging yourself a massive hole in the standings. Is that worth it to potentially have something 10, 20, 30% better in the trade market? I don't think so. Because this group, I don't think, has the stamina necessary to go on an incredibly difficult playoff run. It was a strategy that I thought was clearly flawed from the start. And big shock, it came back to bite the Lakers in the butt. All right, moving on to King Sixers. So this was a dominant win for Philly. They led by 25 for most of the game. Really good balance for Philly. They had six players in double figures. Joel Embiid had 31-7 and seven on 16 shots. Joel Embiid is averaging 37 points per game in his last 10 games. He's not really, there's, a, you know, it's funny because there's been a lot of talk like, oh, why isn't Embiid getting enough, as much uh, uh, attention for this recent play as Anthony Davis has been getting? And I, I think that's silly because Anthony Davis has been better. He's been the best defensive player in basketball during that stretch, and he's been the best rebounder in basketball. He's averaging 14 rebounds per game in this recent stretch. So, like, 
Yes, Embiid is scoring the way that Anthony Davis has been, even a little bit better, but he's not having the overall impact the way that Anthony Davis has had. That said, Joel Embiid is having a really impressive run as a scorer. He had 53 against Charlotte the other night, averaging 37 points per game in his last 10 games. Really, really impressive night. I just want to draw a line between him and what Anthony Davis is doing, which is like, like there's a reason why Anthony Davis has been being called one of the best players in the world in the last month or a month and a half or so. It's because he's literally been the best defensive player in basketball, the best rebounder in basketball, and he's scoring at a Joel Embiid type of rate. Um, but kudos to Joel Embiid because like he's on a ridiculous scoring run right now. Uh, James Harden, 21 and 15 assists on 13 shots. He had three more mid-range shots in this game. We talked a lot last week about J- uh, James Harden and his mid-range scoring. Um, and then Tobias Harris pitched in 21-7. and seven. But I thought they won this game on the defensive end of the floor. Matisse Thybul, it's interesting because he's been kind of like a polarizing player within Sixers Twitter because a lot of Sixers fans want him to play more, but then a lot of other Sixers fans are like, no, he's too bad offensively. And he kind of goes in and out of the rotation based on what you know uh, Doc Rivers thinks they need on the offensive end of the floor. But he is so damn good defensively. Um, and he did such a good job in this game in particular, navigating screens, having a good idea of when to go under versus when to go over when he thought he had a chance to recover, and using his length to bother De'Aaron Fox in his pull-up jump shooting, which is such an important part of his scoring out of pick and roll. And then when you have Joel Embiid at the rim, especially with a guy like uh, Sabonis who will take perimeter jump shots but doesn't like to take them at volume, it really allowed Philly to contain, to contain De'Aaron Fox and give him a really tough night. Um, the Sixers have now won three in a row. To get back up to 15 and 12, they're the fifth seed in the East right now. Since Philly's 5 and 7 start, so since November 12th, they are 10 and 5, which is the fourth best record in basketball. They are 13th in offense and fourth in defense, and they've been missing a bunch of guys over that span. They're actually starting to get healthy now, which kind of leads you to the conclusion of why their offense has been a little uneven. Um, so keep an eye on the Sixers because if Tyrese Maxey comes back, which I think they're planning around Christmas, if Tyrese Maxey comes back, They've kind of established themselves on the defensive end in a way that they didn't early in the year. I would be surpri- I'd be surprised if the Sixers don't go on a run to start next year in January. So the Sacramento Kings continue to struggle against good teams. They are seven and one this season when they're playing against teams that are below five hundred, and they are seven and eleven this season when playing against teams that are five hundred or better. The reality is they just can't. I, I talked a lot about this before the season. Like you have to be able to play defense to beat the good teams in the league, because you know, there's kind of like a baseline level of what you can accomplish um, defensively in a game with a minuscule level of effort that bad teams won't be able to exploit. So for instance, if you play lazy defense where you just chase guys off the three-point line and funnel them into the paint and, you know, teams that aren't willing to make the extra passes to get high-quality shots so they don't test your defensive rotations, you'll be able to get enough stops to win games, especially when on the other end you're playing against a bad defense and your offense can light them on fire. But when you're playing against a good team, there's a certain level of shot making and offensive, you know, um, organization with extra passes and, and and cutting and things like that that squeeze out extra points on the offensive end of the floor. And then on the other end of the floor, your offense will be less effective because you're going up against a great defensive team. You need to be able to lock in and get stops to beat the good teams in the league. According to Cleaning the Glass, when the Sacramento Kings play a top 10 team in the league by point differential, they have a defensive rating of 117 which ranks 22nd in the league. And you can see it in the results if you start to look at their schedule. They lost to Atlanta. They lost to Boston. They lost to Phoenix. Then they beat the Pacers. Then they beat the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Then they beat that Chicago Bulls team, which is kind of spiraling. 
Then they lose to the, uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks. Then they beat the Cavs without Donovan Mitchell. Then they lose to the Knicks and the Sixers. So the reality is with the Sacramento Kings is they're just a fun, mediocre team that will probably lose in the play-in tournament or get swept in the first round. I really am interested in a bunch of specific players on their team. I like De'Aaron Fox. He's made a lot of improvements as a jump shooter this year. I like Damana Sabonis as that bully ball post player that passes the ball really well. I think he had five more assists in this game. Um, I really like Keegan Murray as a future kind of 3 and D player that has more of like a uh, lightning quick Clay Thompson-esque type of release. You know, Davion Mitchell is is starting to add some offense to offset, you know, or to, to add to what he brings on the defensive end of the floor. There's a lot of good to like with the Sacramento Kings. But at this point, it's just an interesting team, not a good team. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We're going to be back tomorrow with our uh, with the power rankings, I believe, is the plan at this point. So we're going to get to hit on a bunch of teams tomorrow. Um, as always, I sincerely appreciate your guys' support. Keep an eye on the Twitter feed so you guys can see show announcements. So I'll let you know when the show's coming out, and I will see you guys then. The Volume. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.